0: The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Mythology Explained YouTube channel. Please note that there are two narrators for this podcast, myself, Silas, and Zach. Please enjoy. To tell the story of Buri is to tell of how the universe came to be in Norse mythology. In this, he plays but a small part, though one of paramount importance to be sure. He was the first god to draw breath in all of Norse mythology, grandfather to Odin, who it was that created the world. In the beginning there was only Gap, the great void, something similar to the waters of Nun in Egyptian mythology, or to Chaos in Greek mythology. It was the empty space that presupposed creation. Next there was Niflheim and Muspelheim. Niflheim was a realm of ice and dark in the north, and Muspelheim was a realm of fire and light in the south. Both were equally desolate and inhospitable. Niflheim abounded with poisonous water, the bubbling of springs and roaring of rivers. And Muspelheim was a land closed off to those not born there. Only those native to it could endure its burning terrain and choking air. Surtr, the Black One, ruled over Muspelheim. He wields a great flaming sword, and come Ragnarok, the gods will be laid low and the world set ablaze. Eventually, the poisonous waters of the north flowed down into the void. Here's the passage. Hai replied, when those rivers, which are called Ilivagar, storm waves, came so far from their source, the poisonous flow hardened like a slag of cinders running from a furnace and became ice. When this ice began to solidify no longer ran, poisonous drops spewed out and froze into ice rime, or frost. Then layer by layer, the ice grew within Ganungagap. Then just as Hai said, That part of Gap which reached into the northern regions, became filled with ice and rime. Inside the gap there was mist and wind-whipped rain, but the southern part of Gap grew light because of sparks and glowing embers flowing from Muspelheim. Just as cold came down from the north, so too did sparks emit and heat emanate from the south. Frost and fire met in the middle, and the result was temperate, neither frigid nor blistering. The ice at the center began to thaw. Droplets from the dripping ice and the breeze of the warm wind met and coalesced, and within their union was a quickening. Then emerged Emir, whom the giants call Argolmir. All frost giants are descended from him. One time, while he slept, he began to sweat profusely, this the sweat of procreation. His whole body was wet with it, and from this came three children, a son and daughter propagating in his left armpit and yet another sun propagating from the coupling of his legs. Despite coming into existence and drawing breath before the gods, the gods didn't hold him in reverence but despised him, believing him and all of his descendants to be wicked and loathsome. Next it was Audhumbla, the primordial cow, that emerged from the ice. She subsisted on the salty ice that was all around, and Emir, in turn, found nourishment at her udders, from which ran four rivers of milk, Without stretching the truth, it could be said that Audhumbla, with respect to Emir, incarnated the dichotomy of life and death, for it was she who sustained him, and she who would unearth the sire of his doom. One day while she was licking the salty ice, the hair of a man's head became visible. A few days later, the man was entirely unearthed, thawed free. This man was Buri, and he was mighty to behold, a man who made other men look but children beside him. He was big, strong, and beautiful, the first god in all of Norse mythology. Bor, the second-born god in all of Norse mythology, was his son, and he took Besla, the daughter of Bolthorn the giant, as his wife. Three children were born to them, three sons, Odin, Vili, and Vey. And before we continue with this story, we are going to see what's said about Buri beyond the Prosetta, which has very little to say about him beyond establishing his precedence by incorporating him into the creation myth. Despite being, by the reckoning of the Prosetta, of paramount importance, Buri is virtually absent from Norse mythology. None of the other myths in the Prosetta feature him, and similarly, he's missing entirely from the Poetic Edda. However, this doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't integral to older Norse traditions, of which much has been lost. Though the manner in which Bor was begotten isn't elaborated on, I've read in a couple sources, such as Norse mythology, a guide to the gods, heroes, rituals and beliefs by John Lindau, that his is what could be called a more standard engenderment, likely sired by Buri on an unnamed giantess, not spawned in a sweaty armpit or by two legs somehow entangling in coitus. Also, there's nothing said about what happens to Buri, No mention of him dying, and no mention of his role after the world is created. Basically, he's a cosmological mechanism that functions to account where the gods came from. Something from nothing, this quandary is one that every religion and mythology has to wrestle with. And when you boil it down, every creation myth more or less relies on the same two ideas. Something or someone that always existed, something or someone that was self-created, or a combination of the two. This ties into the first mover theological argument, posited by St. Thomas Aquinas, that argues for the existence of God. Here's a simplified breakdown of the argument. 1. Observation of motion. Aquinas starts by observing that things in the world are in motion. 2. Infinite regression is impossible. If you trace back the chain of moving things, you cannot go back infinitely. There must have been a starting point. If every object in motion were merely moved by another object in motion then there would be an infinite regression of moving objects. This would mean there's no initial mover, which Aquinas saw as a logical impossibility. 3. Existence of the first mover Since infinite regression is impossible, there must be a first mover that set everything else in motion but was not itself set in motion by anything else. 4. The first mover is God aquinas identified this unmoved mover or first mover as god this argument builds on the work of the ancient greek philosopher aristotle who also discussed the idea of a prime mover or unmoved mover in the context of motion and causality however while aristotle's own theorizing serves a more general cosmological role aquinas specifically identifies the first mover with god and christianity now back to the norse creation myth Norse gods often took giantesses as their consorts, but this didn't stop them from generally viewing giantkind as repugnant. This dynamic paralleled that of the Vikings and the lands they raided. Just as Vikings killed men and took women as prisoners, so did the Norse gods kill giants and breed with or marry giantesses. I have no idea what the correlation causation here is, but the two are virtually the same. Anyway, Emir was certainly no giantess, so Odin and his two brothers teamed up and attacked him. Their combined strength was too much to withstand, and when Emir died, so much blood gushed from his wounds that the giants were inundated. All of them nearly drowned to death. Only Bergelmir and his family survived, managing this by taking a page out of Noah's book. They climbed aboard a wooden chest and rode out the flood. As they were the only survivors, they were the seed from which the whole of the frost giant race propagated. Emir's body was dragged to the center of ganungagap and there the three gods began their great work. His body became like a cosmic quarry or a vast forest to be logged. It was torn apart, and once the pieces were hewed, they became the elements from which the world was made. Here's the passage. From his blood they made the sea and the lakes. The earth was fashioned from the flesh, and mountain cliffs from the bones. They made stones and gravel from the teeth, the molars and those bones that were broken. With the blood that gushed freely from the wounds, they made the sea. And by fashioning the sea around, they belted and fastened the earth. They also took his skull and from it made the sky. They raised it over the earth and under each of the four corners they placed a dwarf. They are called east, west, north, and south. Then they took the embers and sparks shooting out from muspelheim these they placed in the middle of the sky to light up heaven and earth the earth was a flat disc surrounded by the ocean the wild and rugged lands along the coast were given to the giants further inland a wall was built towering and nigh impregnable it was built to keep the giants out and was fashioned from the eyelashes of emir within was midgard middle earth the realm of humanity Though humans did not yet exist. Lastly, Emir's brain was taken up and thrown into the air, where it became all the clouds in the sky. Just as Odin and his two brothers created the world, so too did they create humanity. After their great work was done, Emir's body spent and the world in bloom, the three of them were walking along one of the beaches they had just made. They came across two logs and used them as a whittler wood, a piece of wood, or a potter wood, a lump of clay. Various gifts were imparted to them, the culmination of which was the first man and first woman. Form was given, breath and life imbued, intelligence and movement bestowed, hearing and sight endowed, and speech taught. They were then clothed. The man was called Ask, Ash Tree, and the woman Embla, Elm or Vine. Midgard was given to them as their home, and from them the entire human race is descended. And that's it for this video. If you enjoy the content, please like and subscribe. Thanks for watching.